Amazing, Rick. Uh, oh, by the way, and you, you did mention it, it's not your first podcast, right? I'm guessing you've done a couple of, the, of these already. No, I've done I've done plenty of these. Um, cool. And and uh, is it the personal enjoying the enjoyment or of doing podcasts and sharing your own life story and the brand story, or is it just sort of like a sort of like it's an, an entertaining thing for you, or is it mostly um, I don't know, it gives no, you a different no, no. perspective well, I on mean, things. Usually, I think usually it comes up as uh, a you know something as an opportunity to uh, help the brand or push it forward. And so that ends up being sort of why we do it. But I think they're, they're kind of fun. Uh, kind of, and, just kind of. <laughs> uh, just well, kinda. no, I, I, I think they're fun. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I think audio as a, as a uh, format is, is uh, only getting going. And even though like, podcasts are out there and everybody knows about podcasts and things but audio as a sort of greater uh medium is is only getting started and so i think it's it's only natural that uh it's something you do more in and mm-hmm. uh so i'm always i'm always happy to do them i'm always flattered and yeah happy so yeah. you know yeah it's it's funny that, that how you that you say that right i mean obviously with with your marketing background that sort of the the dynamic between video and audio is completely different i think audio sort of the people yeah. that listen to audio are people that are usually a lot more immersed in the content and whoever people are speaking in the episode, which if you understand, you know, marketing long-term, it might not be the best thing short-term because short-term, especially now everything's about, you know, the, the cheese, the, the easy grabs, the attention, the hooks, but from a branding perspective, you really want to focus on that type of content that actually builds connections, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's also um, just like a lot of different things. People, use or consume it in different ways and then they would might video or then they might um email or anything else and so i just think that figuring out you know where any brand like where does your brand where do you have permission to play in the audio space and so what does that mean for your brand or your company and how do you go take advantage of that um and um so it's it's different for everybody and and i think different people are different uh target depending on who your audience is um you know they might use podcasts for example as a way to like gain knowledge or information but that's very different than maybe uh i don't know looking for beautiful imagery or something and so right uh it's hard to shop via audio Mm. but um but you know you can gain insights into a company or what inspired them to make this collection or uh you know their background or a, a certain person's background or something like that and so it, it allows you it allows i think customers to get more feel more connected mm. um and then i think too for audio like music is is obviously audio and so there's a there's a great way to express the brand's personality mm. through music and playlists and uh, oh, I see what you mean. Streaming and things, yeah, yeah. And so uh, there's all kinds of things that you that audio and and you know now when we have all these little robots, the series and the the Google you know machines and they're all audio voice activated. Well, it's audio and mm. and so and I even like uh, audio books, things like that. Um, so I think for each brand or person, it just depends on how they like to consume, but, mm. uh, and, you know, I might listen to watch one type of movie, but I might listen to a different, totally different genre in podcasts or mm. audiobooks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I had a thought about that. Cool. Uh, well, just so that the people listening can have some sort of rough idea of who they're listening to, uh, can you just give us a short, brief introduction of what you do? Uh, what you know, what what Howler Bros is all about? Uh, it can be short, and feel free to just brag about your career and your successes because I think <laughs> I, you, you know what I think that it, it's it's uncomfortable, right? But I think it's important now that every everybody online is can be from one day to to another, like either a marketing guru or a business guru. When I mean. It takes time, you know, and, and I think people are increasingly more skeptical in terms of and validly so and importantly so about who they choose to listen advice from. So, uh, yeah, just tell people at home, like, what, what you do and sort of like what, what everything's about. Just a brief introduction. Yeah, sure. 
Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, second, my, so my name is Rick Wittenbrinker, and I work for uh, our company is called Howler Brothers, and we make uh, men's apparel uh, primarily for sort of outdoor, active, outside uh, life and activities. Um, we take a lot of inspiration from vintage pieces, uh, vintage Western wear, vintage surf wear. Um, and, you know, initially the brand started off as an expression of our two founders of things that they liked to wear, but they wanted some more technical performance out of those things. And so their creativity and then their love for these vintage pieces or certain items or certain uh and always, they were always also wearing things that weren't necessarily meant for that. Mm. So like going uh, saltwater fishing in vintage Western shirts, uh, things like that. So sort of this, this mashup of application. Mm. Uh, and then um, wanting, always wanting to be out doing stuff and traveling and doing fun, cool activities and uh, wanting to have a clothes that suited the needs but also they felt cool in and didn't feel like they were all geared out or teched out and you know where you kind of feel like a, a robot or something and so uh that that was i mean i'm giving you the short version but that was somewhat of like the the confluence of what happened to kick off howler brothers and uh company's now been around for uh going on 12 years and mm. um uh, I've been here a little, I, actually last week was nine years. Um, and, um, and, um, it's, it's been a great run and we've had a lot of growth and, uh, expansion and evolution over that time. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we've developed a really avid and excited, uh, fan base, uh, audience and mm -hmm. uh we have some pretty devout followers who yep. collect uh some of our shirts and the resale value on ebay is well over retail oh so you got uh, the entire like, resale culture going oh, for the man, brand like sometimes already. it's like triple quadruple uh what retail was you know six years ago when that shirt came out wow. um so there's some cool stuff there uh but but really it's just about being uh real and authentic and genuine and so that like the name howler brothers the howler is inspired by howler monkeys that are uh pretty common in central america and our founders used to take surf trips down to costa rica and so those howler monkeys are always cruising around and you hear them screaming and so at first it's a little scary or off-putting but then they become sort of the soundtrack of a trip and, and one of those things that you remember uh, from travel. Um, and so so when they decided we're trying to pick a name, that was something that kept coming back to them. So Howler and, and it was kind of wild and exotic, but also fun and inspiring. And then uh, brothers, uh, plural, because there's, a, there's an obvious understanding of brothers, meaning a bond or a union uh, between two or more uh and you know that can be friends brothers it can be family brothers uh, mm. but really it was about shared experiences and doing stuff together and it's not about me mm. and ego it's about we and sure. sharing um and so that's a big part of uh like really uh, almost everything we do but uh that's how it's how the name came about and um and uh I, I met them, uh, I was introduced to them uh, when I was at my previous job at Yeti. I worked at Yeti. Uh, and, and The coolers, right? For several, yeah, the cooler company. Uh, I started doing work for Yeti when they were very small. And then uh, we had this sort of rocket ship rise. And But I met the Howler uh, founders, Chase and Andy, when I was still at Yeti. And that... Um, we uh, a mutual friend introduced us and we went to lunch and hit it off and so we sort of instantly became friends and then i became a fan and a, a customer of the brand and and i just loved what they were doing uh but they came from other 
uh, industries, other other occupations. And so they didn't really know much prior to starting this. They didn't have experience uh, in the apparel world or in the sort of outdoor, sort of greater outdoor uh, world where uh, they were going. And, and so I was at Yeti at the time and it was honestly kind of easy for me to uh, help them out or give them advice or get them involved on things we were doing at Yeti or introduce them to people. And so uh, pretty quickly, our friendship snowballed. And um, uh, after a while, I had reached a point where I just said I wanted to go do something else. And uh, we ended up uh, hammering it out and making it work. Nine years. Yeah. yeah. Nine years. And I mean, the growth for nine years is still, have you had, is, is it mostly, and obviously you don't have to, you don't have to, um, you don't have to um, be specific, but has it been completely self-funded or there's been outside, outside investment over that, over that time? Um, yeah. You know, we, uh, for the large part, it has been self-funded. We did uh, about eight years ago to a uh, very small inside family, friends and family uh we got some input from friends and family but you know honestly it has been primarily yeah uh all self-funded and so uh and we've been very mindful of that and um it's something we've has always been uh we've never you know subscribed to the uh growth at all costs or yeah. in this this uh sort of glorify pump and dump yeah 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 Yeah. or like this unfounded belief that oh we'll just figure it out later like yeah yeah yeah. we we always actually at least as far as i've been involved like we always wanted to grow but grow uh with yeah authentically like with with real customers with real sales with real connection yeah 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 with with a long-term strategy not just focused on the short-term gains pumped by private equity or, or venture capital or investment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's That's rare. Right. And, and the, the reason why I mentioned that is because it's quite rare nowadays. I mean, everybody now was special. Well, now with the, uh, with the recession might, ch- might change a little bit, but just in recent years, everybody's been talking. And I'm, most of you probably understand this because you do, you do have a background as an investment as well, right? Uh, yeah. So I actually started um, working after uh, graduating from college. I started in private equity mm. and um, I worked, uh, for a U.S. firm, but I was uh, stationed first in Argentina and then in El Salvador, overseeing some investments down there back when, um, well, at least in Argentina, back when their peso was still uh, fixed to the dollar one to one. So it was super safe. And at that time, it was a real uh, area of interest and growth. And so mm-hmm. uh, I got, frankly, it was uh, I wasn't qualified for the job, but I got it and I did it. And so I learned a lot on the fly and um, had a great time doing it. And I uh, did that for several years. And then um, even after I left that, I between that and some other things that I had learned and experienced, I, I took a real interest in uh, investing and, um, and uh Probably in 2000, I believe, um, along with my brother-in-law, uh, we started um, looking very opportunistically at some investment opportunities. And it was something that we just liked doing. It wasn't either of our day jobs at the time. And it's not like we had a bunch of money. Right, just, just angel investing looking. for, for fun. Yeah, for and, fun so, um, and so we started looking and then every once in a while there would be one where maybe we could afford it or we could scrape together enough money to do it and uh and you learn i think you learn a ton it's a lot uh, by doing that yeah yeah. uh even just the process of looking at opportunities and and making that decision what would you or would you not invest in this company of course Uh, i think it's a great process for for it's great practice even if you don't have the money to do anything yeah Um, but uh, and I, I, I truly believe that being an investor makes you a better operator and that being an operator makes you a better investor. Yeah. There's um, a, there's a saying that goes, uh, uh, 
being good at business makes you a better investor and being a good investor be, makes you a bit better at business. Yeah, well, it's just I the, mean, the whole dynamic changes, right? I mean, number one, you start becoming, and I I can relate a little bit because that's kind of like what I've done over the years. I've just saved up money and started investing into brands that I like. I have no idea what I'm doing, of course, half of the time, but it's a very, very, it's a, it's a real learning experience. And I think that it helps you look at things pragmatically, number yeah. one, uh, because being very romantic, it, although it's good when it comes to passion and building communities and branding, you also need to be rational uh, when it comes to your decision-making. And also you always, always, at least if you're doing it correctly, I think thinking about the long-term, uh, you know, seven, five years and plan based yeah. on that, not necessarily on what's going to be, what's going to be, what's going to be generating less cash next quarter, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think one of the other things about investing is it is a, um, everyone gets excited about this idea of making a bunch of money and, um, you know, all that good stuff, but, uh, and that's, that's great. Uh, but I think along the way, like the other things you can gain along the way are also, uh, pretty remarkable. And as you meet, it's like all new people, you know, you meet, uh, or, or connect with other companies that maybe you wouldn't connect with. And, and then like we were saying, you bring all those things into your operating life, your daily work life, and that can make you a better uh, team member. It can help your company. It can do all those things. And so, um, but I just, I love it because I, I also love learning those new things. I mean, and you could, sure, I could only look at things I already know or understand, but I, I actually really love like trying to understand a new, um, a new idea or a new concept or a new industry. Not that I'm going to go be an expert in it, but more sure. just because I feel like you, you start to see how everything yeah, become is multifaceted. And inter, inter, interconnected and things. Sure. So uh, I just love it. Yeah. No, but, I, I can't really. One thing I want to say, one thing I want to say too, is that um, like we don't, I still to this day, like there, there could be something great that uh, you really like but we just don't have the money at the time. So it's like, okay, well, we, we can't do it. Uh, right. And then there's other times um, that, you know, you, uh, you think it's going to be the greatest thing in the world and then it fails and you lose money and that, but like even those lessons and those experiences doing it are, are great. Mm -hmm. So those, those can be super helpful as well. Um, and I think they give you that, that perspective and that balance to, to do, better in whatever you're doing sure and whenever you're thinking about you know you know business related mostly because i guess is where it most applies but overall maybe also in your personal life as well if you had to describe yourself what would you consider yourself the most uh and you can't say all of them uh, uh an, an operator between those two between between what would you say this would describe you better what would you describe yourself better an, an operator an investor a manager a uh, consultant if what do you think Rick's say, role is? Uh, I, 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 it's funny because I think that is a really good question. And I think if you went and asked, you know, five, 10, 50 people that I know, I think where most of the answers, if I'm being truthful, where most of the answers would come is, is neither trying to fit in either one of those buckets. It's actually about being, uh, sort of a relationship and a connector person. And that's uh, where I, I feel like in every job I've had or everything where I've had some sort of success, it had something to do with, around relationships and people. And, mm. um, and so whether that's investing or operating or working for, uh, yeah, yeah, an apparel company or a cooler company or, some of the other things I've done, like it, it really, it, it really comes down to people, um, at least for me. And so mm. that, I think that's, that would probably be my response. Amazing. So if, if you could say, cause obviously you've had a long career, you have a lot of skill sets, but if you could say what your biggest strength or what would, what would you say your expertise is, would it be of course marketing? But the thing about, you know, when, when you, when you describe, well, oh, I'm very good at marketing, sure. But that could be very, very general. So if you were to be very, very specific at what you confidently feel that 
And this is humbly, of course, like, I don't want to, I don't want you to be like, um, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable saying like, oh, I'm amazing. at, I'm an amazing market. No, no, no. Just like humbly saying like something that you feel a little bit more comfortable in than other things. Would it be people? Would it be something as specific at marketing? Um, what would you say that is? Uh, specific to marketing, um, I would probably say that uh, it and this is maybe a little broader, but uh, that it gets to around uh, the the ability to, or, or the propensity to uh, grow communities around certain things. Mm. Uh, so that could be around people who uh, use coolers. It could be around people who like this specific brand of apparel. It could be around uh, something else. And so, um, I, I think the ability to, or, or the, you know, to, to look at everything on the table and say, okay, this is how people interact with this product or this service. And then how, how do we go get them fired up about that? How do we continue to grow that and grow outward and, um, and find the right people? Cause you know, the truth is not everybody, it, it no thing is right for everybody. And so it's really just trying to figure out who is the right people for this product or this service and who are the right audience. And so therefore, where do we aim and all that good stuff? Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's pretty much the same thing that you said previously. It's your role as a connector. It's around uh, just at, Just at scale, you know, because yeah. I think I think an interesting way to look at, I guess, business, quote unquote, is and this is something that I realized quite late in my career, is that all it is, is just human relationships at scale. And so, I, I mean, that I think that's very well said, uh, and I totally believe in that. And, and but there is a huge difference between, um, oh, I have all these business cards, or I have all these LinkedIn contacts, and now I, I can go filter them, and I can go, you know, do this or do that. I, sure, uh, I think it's very different, though. The ability—that's a connection. I think there's a difference between a connection. And a relationship or right, building depth, a relationship, course, the ability course. to build a relationship. And I think that is really where, and it matters. Um, and, and actually we have a, an internal, a slide we use in our internal deck when we're talking about the company and that, you know, uh, in big team meetings and things. And that's, um, it, it goes back to that, uh, one of our core tenants around uh, brothers and brotherhood, and that is our teammates, our coworkers here, and that is one node of relationship or one one group of relationships. And then uh, there's our our brand ambassadors. There is our uh, all our retailers. There's our customers, uh, our you know vendors and manufacturing partners and things like that. Like all those relationships matter, mm. you know. And if we aren't good let's call it friends for the uh, sake of discussion. But like, if we aren't good friends, if we don't reciprocate that friendship or if we don't uphold our part of that relationship, then we're not very good at it. And and frankly, it'll end up eroding mm. or it, it might end up not being as good as it could have been. Sure. Um, and so I, I do think it's really around uh, the ability to go find and build and maintain and grow relationships. Mm. Yeah. So summarizing it is pretty much your role is to make sure that the company, which you treat as a life form of its own, as an individual, as a person, can develop those deep connections with its customers, just like as it would with friendships, uh, just obviously maintaining the infrastructure and the direction in the business to for it to not dilute when it comes to, you know, when there's growth, when there's scale, because that's what tends to happen, right? Like if you're a, if you're a small shop, your customers walk in and you know, these people, right. You might know their daughter, you yep. might know their dads. And then yep. if you grow and then all of a sudden you're not a mom and pop shop, you're a Walmart. There's not, the very few brands can keep that connection. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like the role of, especially for consumer companies, for people to feel that connection with brands. Cause now there's very little, everything's so competitive. So what really makes one different from the other? It's pretty much almost that. <clears throat> Yeah, and it's um I think that's right. And I think that that whole um as you mentioned, the whole 
dynamic of having knowing the customer, knowing their kids' names or knowing where they live and all this stuff. And then as you continue to, as the company grows, trying to hold on to that or as, at least as much of that as possible and maintain that spirit. And it doesn't have to always look the exact same. It could be different, but, um, you know, having that same spirit in the same ethos, I think is what is, uh, is important. And I think, you know, the, the volumes of history are aligned with stories of people and, and companies who didn't do that well uh, or became something totally different and lost sort of their inner, their lost their North Star. But I think um, it is something that we talk about a lot and it's something that we work on quite a bit. And, mm. and it really, you know, you know, I think we, we try to really hold the Howler personality and everything we do from customer service to, like I said, interacting with vendors or uh, partners. And I think that's, it's, uh, it's the way, it's the way we do it, but it's really, I think the way that uh, what we're effectively trying to do is be a good, have a good friendship relationship. Hmm. And what do you think is the, what, what is the root cause of established brands that has have established those relationships sometimes over decades and what brings management to start making those bad decisions is it purely investor pressure is it just bringing in the bad people bad culture and it's just slowly yeah. starts eroding the whole thing and i know i know you said everything is you know relative there's no silver silver bullet uh but overall based on your your, your own analysis um yeah i mean look i think sometimes those decisions are made uh from a financial standpoint and and sometimes they might need to be made you know, like sometimes a company could be really great at this customer service or this relationship or whatever, but it might actually not be the best uh, thing. So, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of reasons why that happens. But at the end of the day, um, if those things are truly important to the company and to the people and to the leadership, I think they will probably bring that out to the top and keep it important. Uh, cool. So, I mean, just, just wrapping up, talking about, you know, if why those type of companies sort of start making those bad decisions when it comes to, you know, building those close connections and relationships with the customers. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I know that in a way, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that you're quite a big fan of this idea of, uh, you know, being a contrarian when it comes to you know marketing so analyzing what's going on in the marketplace uh what might seem that's most financially viable or the most opportunistic and just saying screw it i'm just going to do something completely different um which is an amazing i come from the from the from the fashion industry which is a big it's a it's a big idea right luxury is is pretty much all they teach you uh but how relevant is that still nowadays do you think that is is is, is there always an opportunity to be a contrarian because People are people are afraid, right? And there can be risks to those decisions. But what's your personal yeah. philosophy on just having contrarian approach to marketing? Um, I, I would, I, I would maybe even just back up and say it, it's less about necessarily being contrarian just to be contrarian. I think that is like everyone's going left, so therefore I'm going right just to be different. I think it's way more about like having. Uh, uh, really arriving at a clear understanding of what you are or like as a company, uh, what is the company or in the brand about what we're doing? And I, I really believe that a, I think a lot of times people use the word brand as a, a company or a, uh, but in reality, the brand is the personality to reputation a company. It's a, it's, it's a personality. Yeah. It's how you talk. It's how you carry yourself. It's it's your attitude. It's all those things. Like that's all. It's all the personality uh, is the brand, and and so it's like if if you if you really define what that is, and 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 the more effort you put into defining what that is, then the more I think crystallized you become on on where you're going and what is important to the company and. So therefore, what should we do becomes a lot easier 
or how we do it becomes easier. And it may appear to be really contrarian because we've decided that we want to go this way when everyone else is going that way. But it's not, it's not necessarily just to be different, mm. you know? Um, and so I think for us, uh, as Howler, my partners, uh, Andy and Chase, they did a really remarkable job from the get-go of defining what is Howler Brothers. And, and a big part of defining that for anyone is also defining what is it not? What, 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 what are the things over here that we do not do or how we do not act or, or you know, that we even we're not good at weaknesses. Um, mm. And so I think all that, though, was was uh, was very well considered from the mm. get go, even before I joined. And so it makes it, therefore, very easy to make decisions, make those decisions. And then when you are. In addition to that, when you apply great things like creativity and originality, you apply it on top of that direction. Well, then it becomes like it, it just goes and it takes off and or it can feel like, especially the outsider, it might feel like, oh, my gosh, they're totally going vectoring this direction. But in reality, it was like, no, that was the plan all the time. Hmm. Um it's just now I, I think originality and creativity though, you know, often maybe or at times can get muddied up with contrarian, uh, but it might just be a different approach, like a, a, a novel approach or a, a creative approach. Mm. Um, and so I think those things too are also very important because I mean, look, in the, it, the truth is I think in the business world, like there is no perfect answer and there is no, uh, just because it worked this way last time doesn't mean it's going to work this way next time. And so there's always this, um, you know, you always have to be learning and vigilant about what's happening around you and how things are evolving and changing. And um, and so with that, changing your approach or your solution. And so um, I think just trying to always be on top of that um, and, and look, creativity and is a big part of of our company and our brand and so for us it is important to always be pushing that as well mm. um even if that means hey we have a style that's been working really really well for the past three or four years and man it'd be easy to just do that one again in some different colors or tweak it a little bit and that we know that would work financially, but there's a brand decision to say, you know what, though, I think that style has run its course. And now mm -hmm. we need to move beyond that. We want to evolve beyond that. Of course. And sometimes that's hard. And a lot of people like don't, you know, they feel scared making those kind of decisions. But I think at the end of the day, uh, if, again, if you have that, if you have your center really defined, then it, it isn't as hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's developing those assertive principles that are going to become sort of like your decision-making yeah. compass when the complexities of business and distractions of business sort of like go your way. It's like yeah. you said, it's like, if you're a person, what are your personal values and principles? What do you make decisions based on? Right. Integrity, honesty, yeah. uh, ambition, uh, greed, insecurity, uh, all those things have to be pre-established whenever you're making a company. Cause if not, there's, there's really no foundation for the business to sort of rely on. Everything's just, you're just reacting to whatever's working short term. And that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't create a brand. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good description. Okay. And when, what for, for people that are starting businesses out there, do you think that the easiest, Oh, well, before I get to that question, I guess, because it is a very simple concept um, just like almost everything, I guess, in business, but why do you think it is yet so difficult to achieve? Um, I, you know, honestly, I think that people, I think there's kind of two things. I think one is that people want to rush in before doing this hard work and figuring it out. And they're so tempted to rush in and start selling or start making money and that they, um, that they just don't, go figure it all out and um maybe they're maybe 
they see an opportunity. And so they want to, they don't want that to pass them by. And so they're, they're going to go, Oh, I'm just going to go do this and I'll figure it out later. Uh, I think that's one, uh, you know, in reality is they, they kind of put the cart before the horse in front of uh, a lot of times. I think the uh, other one is, and it's sort of similar is that I think there's people get scared to say no. And, um, you know, if you have a, is a bad example, but imagine a, a person that started a, a food truck and I'm selling tacos, but a guy walks up and he says, yeah, I really want a hamburger. And you're like, oh, we, we have no customers today. So I say, oh, I, well, I'll make you a hamburger because I'm so scared that he's going to walk away and I'll have no sales for the day. And so I end up with this crazy menu that has all this different stuff. And now no one actually knows what I am. I'm not Rick's taco truck. And everyone understands that I make tacos and I do a good job of telling people I make tacos. Instead, I have this like afraid to offend or afraid to not appease where I'm, I'm saying, oh, I'll make you a hamburger or a taco or a sandwich or a pizza or what, whatever in the world you want because I, I'm scared that you'll walk away from me. And I think, I think what happens is that, that is a temptation. Uh, and that's why people get spread too thin. And it's not just whatever the, the restaurant is making, but it's also by not being disciplined and saying, no, this is what we're doing. And they say, oh yeah, they end up with all these things over here, or all these SKUs over here, or these other services that we only do for one or two people a year. And I think that is where they get sort of spread out and too thin mm. and so what it what it ends up doing is sort of it fails to define what you are and i think that um people are going to interpret you how they're going to interpret you and and they basically will interpret you oh yeah we'll do whatever you want sure and not like oh no no they make tacos mm-hmm. and so i think that is that is really one of the things that's really important and uh you know, and, and, and look, for me, I think that another thing that can get in the way sometimes is it's lots of times, especially with a founder, a founder likes to think that their identity or personality is the exact the same, is the exact same as the company. Mm-hmm. And I do, I believe that is not true. I, now, a lot of times there's a ton of overlap there, of course. but but if you really intellectually sit down and try to solve for this, you would say, okay, there's things that the comp that is within the company, the 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 um, the character of the brand that the the company can like, but that I do, as the founder don't like, and vice versa. There's things that I like or do that really don't fit anywhere inside the company. Hmm. Um, and so I think you see that, that that's a, a really common mistake. And what happens is no matter how successful the business is, you know, you fast forward and it gets handed off to someone else. Well, they're handed something that doesn't have a clearly defined self. Mm-hmm. And so it's way harder for the next people to go project that outward. Right. And what do you think being able to do that effectively as a founder, what skill would you define that as? Because, I mean, it's hard enough to define what your own principles are as a human, right? It takes decades for you to develop that, even more, I guess, to be able to understand who you are and then be able to create something for almost a a different entity with the same levels of assertiveness. Well, I I think, though, honestly, and I would make this case that it as a founder, it will make your life so much better to put the time in to define this because the first employee you hire, they don't know as much as you do. They don't have everything that's in here. So the the easier it is for you to like define it and say this is what it is, then they they will be better at their job. Mm. And they understand what's, what, what it is and also what it's not. And so they can go run and do their job, whatever it is, or whatever aspect or whatever part of the company they work for. And 
And they're going to be way better at it than if everyone has to come to the founder and ask, do you like this or do you not like this? Hmm. And I think the other thing is it actually will make the founder's life a lot better because they actually will get some of life that's outside of the company. Hmm. And I know we, we, there's sort of a startup culture that is like, be your company, be obsessed with your company, you know, live that. But I, I actually think that's not, that that's imbalanced. And so, uh, I, I think going through this process and identifying it is, is one of the best things they can do. I mean, what, one easy analogy is to think of it like, um, an actor. Okay. And the actor plays a role. The role is the brand. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, I mean, pick a movie. Okay. Uh, Iron Man. Okay. Iron Man is the brand. That is the brand. Tony Stark, Iron Man. That is the brand. Robert Downey Jr. is the actor. Mm-hmm. He brings and enables a lot and empowers a lot of that character and that that role. But at the end of the day, when they stop filming for that day or when that filming is over, he goes back to being Robert Downey Jr. With good, bad, or otherwise. Like he is actually separate. Yeah, separate. Now they have a lot of overlap there, but they are actually separate. Mm. And I, I think that's it gets so much easier when you say, oh, this is a role and I get to, I'm going to put on my Iron Man suit and I'm going to be Iron Man while I'm doing this role, while I'm working. But after that, I can take it off and I can go be myself. Him. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's the, the difficulties and emotional challenges of blurring the line between yourself yeah. and the company as an identity is just, I mean... Because it's it's just as simple as anything that happens to a company just I automatically becomes associated to your personal to your personal identity as a human, right? A failure, a customer yeah. not being happy, a bad decision. And yeah. if you are consistently involved in that, not only going to be miserable, but I mean, eventually going to start making bad decisions. Yeah, and I, I also just think that it's like, look, the whole intention is to prosper and grow, and mm-hmm. so the more you know that you do that even if you don't add any other employees, well, you're, you're interacting with other people, more people, there's more people that are, are receiving and interpreting this. And so I just think that it's going to make your life better. It actually does a better job of defining what is the company. What's the vision. Yeah. And what's the vision. And, Oh, here's the founder over here. This is my role. Of course, there's a lot of overlap. Of course there is. Of course he might be, or she might be the spirit of it and the the decision maker and the most important part, the key person. But at the end, you know, there there are parts of their life that should be separate. Right. And this is also, I mean, I know again, uh, just people realize that there's no silver bullet, but when it comes to being able to identify those principles, what should founders use as guidelines or sort of like, I don't want to say a rule book, but what, what should they be looking for in order to create those, uh, those principles? Should they be influenced yeah. by the customer? Should they be influenced by just the vision in general? Where does everything I mean, at the end of the day come from? I, I, I think a lot of it is probably going to come from the founder, but I, I would, I would encourage anyone who's starting a new business and, and faced at this moment or this crossroads in their journey to, Kind of two things. I would say, uh, ideally, you would have a third party facilitate it. And I would get, I mean, I, and so you're having someone asking you these questions and maybe even helping write down answers and things like that. Uh, so it's not just you or just banging around in your head, but you have someone facilitating. And then I think. One of the other things, and I've said this a hundred times, but I, I uh, th- there is a really great book out there that can help anybody, um, and and the book is called "The Archetypes of Branding," and it's based on a more uh, scholarly, intellectual text 
called The Hero and the Outlaw. But that's only if you want to get really cerebral and dive deep. But the whole premise is that all characters in theater and movies and novels or whatever actually are one of like 36, I think it is. In Greek theater, there was really only 36 characters. There's the hero, the outlaw, the shaman, the, uh, you know, they have these, you know, assigned archetypes, no matter what, yeah, archetypes, no matter what their name is in that movie or that play, they're this, they're playing this role, that role. this yeah. archetype. And so uh, this book really goes on to say that like, actually every brand is an archetype one of these archetypes and that you go through and they have uh you know they have their own characteristics and personality traits and weaknesses um but it this this really helps you to understand what the differences is between them and it's a it's a it's more of a workbook and so there's actually like these playing cards and you go back and say oh are we this no we're not that okay let's throw that one out and you get the there's 36 you get it narrowed down to about four or five and then that's it gets harder but you really start discerning and you have a real good debate a good polemic discussion and figuring out okay is this us or is that us um you know and you can take a really great a great example is and, and it gives you this this process too it gives you these ex- real world examples other companies that have this same uh archetype and it gives you people like famous people so you know oh that's here's a good example of, of what we're talking about for this one uh and and then it it tells you the weaknesses too mm-hmm. and i think that's very important and powerful because it tells you like okay well here's what we need to look out for and here's if we if we can acknowledge our weaknesses, we can actually utilize that as a strength. But, um, and you know, so if you, in in our world of outdoors, uh, you could take the example of Patagonia and the North Face. You know, started by two friends, two what arguably became two of the biggest outdoor brands in history, uh, making a lot of the exact same stuff. If you go down item by item or more or less, uh, and started by two friends who went on the same trip that inspired both of them to do the exact same thing. And so here you are, fast forward, and one of them, Patagonia, you know, has a, an archetype that is way more about uh, saving the earth and being a good steward of the environment. And not that North Face doesn't care about those things, but that's no, not the their hero. personality. They're the adventurer. Yeah. They're the hero. They're, they're, they're the one that, that wants to be on top of that mountain holding the flag, you know, like we did it. And so it, it's it's a very, they're making more or less the same stuff. They're sold in the same stores right next to each other, but they're actually very different personalities. Mm. And I think it also matters. It matters for your team. It matters for the founders. It also matters. At the end of the day, it appeals to customers differently. Mm-hmm. People who identify or relate with a hero might go this way and the steward might go this way. And mm-hmm. so it's just, I think this book does a great job of really making it very practical and easy to define that. And man, one of the other best things is you go figure out what it is. And it, it like frees all this stuff off your plate because you get to put it up on the wall and go, this is what we are. Here's how we do these things. And you can then say, okay, so our company's version of that the howler version of that is bam 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 but also for the stuff we are not or we do not do and you can put that on the wall and what makes it so great is we don't have to like ask yeah, those questions again yeah, yeah. It's, it's a map. Like a map yeah yeah and so you don't have to ask those questions again and new hires can get up to speed way more easily and anything from product design to customer service like they mm. they understand Mm-hmm. And it just becomes a, a a great tool, and I encourage everybody to do it. No matter if you're making apparel or building cars or starting a, a AC business, it doesn't matter. It, but the the more effort you can put into defining your character, then the easier it's going to be. 
Mm, interesting. Awesome. By the way, how long do I have you for? Just to make sure that I'm uh, going to rush you to whatever you got going next. Because I, I can talk about no, these I'm, things forever. So, Well, I, I probably need to go in like 15 minutes. Cool. Okay, cool. So, uh, okay, interesting. And when it comes to, and this is maybe analyzing things more from an, I guess, operator or investor perspective, because I'm guess I'm guess your experience comes mostly working with brands that have already established that previously, right? Because I think that one of the biggest, there's a big difference for businesses that are, you know, getting from the zero to the, you know, 4 million annual revenue when they're, when they're sort of like figuring everything out yeah. to when they're at sort of, okay, now we have this, now it's just about how do we start growing this? So would you say that's the most important thing that you look for, for businesses at that stage? And would you say that's the, one of the biggest focuses that brands and founders should always be focusing on when starting something? Um. I would say it's less, it's actually like to be well articulated like that is, is way less common than you would think or than you would want it to be. Um, I mean, and, and I think even if they have it, it may not be on the wall just yet. And so sometimes they, they know it, but they haven't articulated it yet. And so sometimes even like articulating that, um, or, or like pushing the founders to articulate that is and explain, you know, th there's a reason why we want to do this. It's going to help everybody. It's going to help us. It's going to help our customers. It's going to help, you know, our new hires, all those things. And so it's w explaining that it's worth doing and then pushing them and helping them make decisions and really narrowing it down. Mm -hmm. But after you go through it, it's freaking awesome. And, mm. uh, and so I, I don't think it's as common to have already to already be articulated as such. But when you see it, I think most people, when they see it, they they also like recognize it, even if they don't know that that's exactly what it is. They're like, oh, well, yeah, those epiphany moments. Oh, my God. Well, I know exactly what that company is or what their mm. personality is or what they do, uh, because they had, even without declaring it, they had come out and effectually effectively like shared that and, and communicated that to them mm -hmm. interesting um, yeah so i i think to, to your question though i think that it's not as common as you would like it to be um i do think it's something that when founders when people have it though it, it it's almost magnetic because you you want to lean in you want more because you're all it's almost like talking to someone who's really interesting like you want to keep talking to them and learn more about their background or their history or their what they're doing next and so i think that is what is so what can be really magnetic and so when you do see that in people it's it's a great thing mm. uh, or in companies rather uh and as far as something that founders maybe should be working on uh i i, I just think that i mean i already just said all the reasons why, but I think the more that they go, oh, we'll figure it out. Or we we already know, and we already know who we are. Your logo is not your brand. Your your brand is your personality, and so pushing that off or saying we'll figure it out later, or, it's changing over time. Like it can change over time, but really, if you're saying that because you don't want to put in the effort, well, I think what's actually going to happen is you're going to get to this point where you're you're either like not doing the best you could at, at communicating this or you're not uh conveying it as well as you could to your audience and so what happens is it ends up kind of being a little detrimental mm -hmm. you know or you you didn't take advantage of the opportunity as well as you could have sure and have you found any sort of common denominators between founders and companies that consistently get to that point with that achieved like a specific uh, passion for their business or a specific skill set, a specific background that they had. Is there anything that you've noticed sort of like provokes that commonality or that common thread or uh, it's just completely random? No, I don't know that it's random, but I, I, I do think that, that there probably is a lot of commonality or overlap between, uh, folks that are people founders that have a real desire to communicate what the company and the brand or do what the company is doing and the way that we do that they they're even if they don't have these same words or are 
can't articulate it as such or whatever. Their behavior is different. Th- their behavior and they want to keep iterating and making it better and doing it better. They they have that there and there. So, I mean, and, you know, really good uh, founders and operators that have that fire in their belly, they always want to make it better. And if they recognize, even if they're not marketing people at all, you know, if they recognize that, hey, this is better for the company, it's going to be better for me, it's going to be better for everybody involved, that this is worth doing. This is mm-hmm. worth investing in, in the time and the effort. And so therefore, we need to do this. And that's mm-hmm. important. Yeah. I, th- I think that when they, when you see that and they recognize that, even if it's not their forte, then um, those tend to be a lot of the people that have, a, you know, they have the intellect and they have the the emotional, the EQ to say, okay, yeah, this is this is a good thing for this business. Okay, interesting. And as of just putting a hypothetical scenario out there, and again, I, I keep saying this because people have this tendency to take any advice and take it always literally adapting to every single scenario. And the reality is that life's complicated. And no matter who you're speaking with and who you're learning from, everything is just relative to your situation. Uh, but if you could hypothetically take us through, you know, let's say, you are sitting in front of another company that's sort of like past that stage. It's a company that's, you know, they're doing, they went through the first barrier, you know, they're making three to $5 million in revenue. Maybe they have a good solid direction in terms of who they are as a brand, who, what their principles are, what would be, and they say they ask you, Rick, to come in and sort of like help them, you know, get to the next level. What would be, what would be your first approach? What were the first things that you'd be looking for? Would you be looking for it? How well is, are these principles established? Who is the customer? What is the strategy? What in, in that hypothetical scenario, if you could just give us to like a very rough uh, sort of like idea of your process, what would that look like? Well, first thing I would probably tell them is that I don't have time to help them, <laughs> if I'm being real honest. But uh, no, but for the sake of the discussion, uh, you know, I think it's um, one thing that I've seen in multiple cases is that. Yes, revenues are important, but it's also important to understand where those revenues came from and and how they really break down. If you could, if you divide it out, and so you really are understanding which are the customers that are spending the most, and which of the customers are really happy, or whether they're coming back for more, or which ones are kind of one and done, and why. Hmm. And so we can really understand who is, you know sort of segmenting our audience and figuring out who are our real winners and who are the people that are maybe in that second tier or third tier. Um, Because it may be different than your initial assumption. But I think the other thing is to understand that because if you don't, if you, if you did $5 million last year and you think, Oh, and we're we're growing. So we're going to keep growing like this because we're just going to sell more of the same. Well, it may not be true. And you, and so I think just breaking that down and getting a really more concrete understanding of who are who and where did that five million dollars come from you know was it all if it all came from we thought it was we if you took an initial glance you might say oh it's all you know they love us they spend five million dollars on our stuff but when you dig in and you say oh it's actually more uh nobody came back right nobody bought yeah or they they everyone bought the blue one and not the red one or the green one and not the yellow and then okay and so you start really figuring that out, or maybe it was this, or maybe it was that. And so, uh, and channels, or you know, which which one of those things really were we appealing to? Because uh, I think one thing that's that's often happens is uh, you, if you have one or two years of information, it may not really be enough to make some mega chip, like a triple down investment. Maybe it is. But there's also these times where you're like, oh, that actually wasn't the big driver behind our growth. It was this other thing. And we we went boom like this. But in reality, we sort of missed the line. Mm-hmm. We missed the opportunity. So I think it's just digging in and understanding what that is. And man, if you already got that figured out, then great. Um, but that, I, I think not to get too sort of uh, enamored with, 
a revenue number, a top line revenue number, but really break it down and figure out where is this coming from and who what's the group that we um uh you know that we need to address more or find more of. Right. Yeah. So really it, working. Of course, yeah. So it, it goes back to the entire conversation that we'll be having is like who's the community and why? Yeah. You know, validating that. Is it really yeah. this is this really a community? It is. I mean, just because it's a sale doesn't mean it's what we want to focus on. And I think too, even um you know, things like, well, how do we do it better? How do we make a better product? How do we make, offer a better service? Like how do we, um, even that microphone you're using right there. I mean, that probably wasn't their first microphone. And so they keep making it better and it looks better and it functions better and it sounds better. And, you know, this is going to appeal to more people or this is more specialized to people doing podcasts versus people performing on stage. And so it just, it's all those things and trying to understand where do we, where do we fit? What fits with our brand? What's the best thing for us? And then how do we keep making it better and go forward? Mm, Awesome. Awesome, Rick. And one last question, just to sort of wrap things up. And this is a little bit unrelated, but I found that very interesting. And it's a, it's a question. It's something (laughs) that I took quite personally and I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, but I saw you mentioned that when, whenever you're thinking about, you know, either starting or growing a business at this stage, it's important to for founders or managers to be, you know, quote unquote, not thinking about going to Japan. And I want to ask, is that in the literal sense, like focus on your stuff, start working, don't travel? Or is it mostly in the sense of thinking, you know, this is what you're doing. Focus on what's working now and stop looking for different opportunities. Just do what you're doing now and do it well. I, I would say maybe uh, kind of neither. I think. Uh, really my my thought there is more like i think people there's a human tendency to uh, i think when starting a business there's so much that goes into starting a business before like day one like when you start selling day one like for us okay we, we sell apparel well there was years of work that went into designing and figuring out how to get it made and all the legal stuff and all getting the shipping and all that stuff and building a website and all taking the photos, like all those things that go into them years of work and people, there's a lot of times I think this, this mistake of saying, Oh, as soon as we turn the website on, as soon as we launch it, it's going to go all the, the money's going to start falling from the sky. We'll be, we're going to be, it's going to be incredible. That's actually the starting line. And, and so all the stuff you did in front, before that is your training for that race to get to the starting line. Hmm. And so even as you're running that race, you're getting smarter and stronger and better, and you're learning how to do things better. And so it's just the starting line. And so I think the comment is really around, like, don't get too ahead of yourself and start thinking about the finish line. We still got to run this race, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah, everything. And it, people be like, oh, I already worked so hard. I already, I already did it all because I trained for this marathon. Well, I still got to go run the marathon, you know? And so I think it's just not getting too, it's still run. You still got to run your race and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I, I related with that specific comment a lot because ironically, uh, we do a lot of business development for brands that want to expand into the Japanese market specifically. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and you get it all the time because it's just, it's just, yeah, you, as you said, it's just human nature. You, you we have this tendency to always want to grasp more than the, where we should. And you see it all the time. It's like, okay, I want to, I want to expand into Japan. Right. But no, maybe yeah. you just have to do what you're doing in your local market first and then start having those conversations. But we do have that, that tendency of wanting to skip steps. And yeah. before we wrap this up, because this is a question that just um, uh, is on the top of my head, having this last 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 ending thought is that, would you say that then the mark, the, the role of, I guess, somebody of a founder slash marketer or slash, I don't even want to say market, but somebody that's in charge of building the personality for the brand is first to figure out what those principles are assertively then figure out how to communicate them with the customer and then figure out how to communi- communi- communicate them internally with your company so that it, it's not all up to you now, but also to you and your team. I, I would say those things are right, but maybe out of order. 
Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is recognizing that these are valuable and worth doing. So let's go figure it out. From there, like it, it, I always envision it as concentric rings. Okay, mm-hmm. the brand is in the middle, and here's our team. The first circle is our team, the people who work here, people who who make this happen, who put on the, the uniform every day and work for this same brand. And then it's the people we relate with, you know, and you have your customers and you have our vendors and you have these things, but it, basically it's people who are involved, but they're outside of our company and they don't get a paycheck from us. Hmm. A lot of times they're giving us money or they're helping us do it or they're empowering us to go, you know, they're making our goods or whatever it is. And so uh, partners in some way. And so I think that is really as it goes out. Um, and I think that, um, so it matters most is taking care of your, your team. Team is, is number one, because if, you, if they're not, they're not bought in and they don't understand, or they don't, they don't believe it's not that you can't be successful financially, but it could be so much better. And I think what happens is, uh, when you, really share those values and that brand and that personality and they understand what it is and why it's important and they start doing it and they start showing others and teaching others. And and then it becomes like everybody's rowing in sync and it's all in harmony and it's not these different things kind of popping off at different times. And so, right. So uh, the natural definition of a culture. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what you end up getting is, Mm -hmm. um, and so I would just say those are the right things, but maybe just out of order. Amazing. Awesome, Rick. Well, I really want to thank you for, for taking the time and sharing all this valuable information. I think that people are going to find it. Too, I mean, hell, I found it super, super valuable. So I'm sure <laughs> people are going to like it. And yeah, it really means a lot. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, I appreciate the time. And uh, it was it was good, good talking. And I hope that you. Uh, you see some more people uh, trying to narrow in on their, uh, their brand voice going forward.